Welcome to Prevention is Cure, brought to you by Precure.com, the podcast which brings you the latest in science and practice and challenging mainstream medicine and finding new and exciting ways of having a happier and healthy life. This series is looking specifically at mental health. We've become really concerned about the lack of translation of what science knows into what medicine does. In most societies, including the one I live in, one in five of us will have a serious mental health problem at some stage. The infrastructure, the practice, the gap between treatment and best practice is massive. This podcast series aims to do something about it. Prevention is cure. I'm your host, Professor Grant Schofield. Today I'm interviewing a interesting fellow called Dave Wood. I read about Dave in the newspaper and his work with some of the top mixed martial artists or MEA athletes in the world. His work with world-class surfers and Olympians, especially Ella Williams, lives near where I live in Tairua. She lives in Whangamata. And he was talking my language. He was talking about cold. He was talking about hot. He was talking about the mental approach to well-being and performance. He was talking about the nutritional approach. He was talking about hormesis and cold. And so I sat down with Dave and, and picked his brain and met a, a switched-on ambulance officer who took all the physiology he knew and applied it to a whole new situation. First of all, to sort out his own journey with chronic pain, but to enter that world of where you really know what you need to be talking about, of elite performance and its intersection with health. You're going to love Dave Wood. Too many days in the darkness Without a glimpse of the light Running tired and broken and scared But I swear I'll never give up the fight Hey, Dave, the first thing I want to ask you about is you're trained in paramedicine and, you know, in the in public health, we often talk about the, the problem of the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. You were, actually were the ambulance uh, and now you, all of a sudden you find yourself starting a little bit of work there, but you've really transformed into this whole Woody's Movement Studio and then a sort of whole lot of holistic stuff and and I guess you're not just the ambulance at the top of the cliff, you're the fence, the guide, the thing. How do, how do you transition from one to another and what even gets you from one to another? Yeah, the... Um... I've worked on the ambulance now for 12 years and for the last five years as an intensive care paramedic. So we see everything uh, everything and anything that you can imagine in the pre-hospital setting. So that ranges from um, a broad age group, from the very young to the very old, um, and then a whole lot of different clinical presentations from uh, very acute unwellness to um, someone with a stub toe. Um, would you, you know, on the more serious end, is there broad categories like there's a whole bunch of people that have ended up with the the acute part of chronic conditions. There's a whole bunch of people with trauma, uh, and then there's a bunch of people with uh, possibly self-inflicted trauma. Not self. Well, I guess it probably is self-inflicted in the sense that they've tried to to harm themselves. Uh, mm. And th- there's these mental health issues as well. Do you want to talk about how those? Yeah, I think I think eighty percent of it is self-inflicted, whether it be. Um, sedentary lifestyle causing lifestyle disease, uh, you know, things like high cholesterol, high blood pressure, uh, metabolic syndrome. Uh, these are things that are all preventable. Um, and, yeah, it's been a real eye-opener working on the ambulance because what what we're seeing is, you know, people are spending the last 20 years of their lives trapped in their bodies, mm. you know, on a, on a um, cocktail of medication, and they're not living. That's not living. It's just dragging yourself that 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 last 20 years when you're supposed to be enjoying yourself. And, yeah, that is self-inflicted. That is, uh, uh, you know, lifestyle decisions. And, um, yeah, and then we deal with, uh, you know, yeah, many acute events, uh, heart attack, stroke, things like that. Uh, and, yeah, so, it's yeah, it's a um, 
We have quite a broad range of practice. We're very lucky in New Zealand as uh, paramedics. Um, our medical director uh, yeah, allows us the opportunity to have a very broad uh, scope of practice and a lot of uh, a lot of um, you have a lot of independence working on the ambulance service. So you know you're making clinical decisions under under you know high stress, high pressure situations. Uh, and as an intensive care paramedic, you have I think it's over thirty drugs that you can administer. So it's starting to sort of become like taking the the recess room of a hospital out into an ambulance and out into the community. So how do you how, how have you managed to be? I think you're still doing a day a week paramedicine. <laughs> Yeah, I was uh, just was talking to my boss on the phone then. Um, yeah, about extending that out to one shift every two weeks. But yeah, up until eight months ago, I was working full time on a frontline ambulance and running the workshop as well. And then the workshop really picked up, so I got to the point where I went part time and uh, I've been doing one to two days a week on a on a frontline ambulance. So uh, this is yeah, this has been my job for the last sort of 11, 12 years. And so this transition to the Woody's Movement Workshop, I guess that's what you're talking about, right? And then, mm. and then the 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 broad range of that work that you do now. Can you describe that? And how did, how does that even start? How did you even start that? Yeah, so it was. Um, I guess you know my background. I don't have any sort of background in um, sports science or working in a gym or anything like that. But what I do have is a very, I guess, in depth understanding of human behavior and also of, um, you know, anatomy and physiology and pathophysiology and pharmacology. It's all part of the degree uh, that um, I did to become a paramedic. And when I started, um, you know, this this the workshop started as a result of my own dysfunction. I had um, bilateral hip surgery uh, and uh, ended up sort of, Getting to a point with with that, I developed chronic pain and um, having to really solve the problem myself rather than relying on other people like physios and muscular therapists and surgeons and hip specialists. And that sort of started my interest in muscle imbalance. And we all have muscle imbalance secondary to, you know, what we call complacent adaptation and specialization. You know, we weren't designed to sit for eight hours, that's for mm. sure. And so we all have this muscle imbalance. And so I, I got really interested in that and started working with clients who had muscle imbalance and chronic pain and stress and anxiety. And then I started working with athletes. And, yeah, it's just been, I guess, just like a natural progression. I What I thought when I got into the field of working with athletes, that a lot of the stuff, um, you know, around breathing and sleep hygiene and recovery would be in place, but it's not. It's not given enough attention and respect. Did that surprise you that they didn't weren't doing this stuff already? They were talking about high performance now. Yeah, it absolutely surprised me because yeah, like I said, I, I didn't I don't come from a field of high performance and I thought that this stuff, yeah, would all be in place and it you know, I started working with these fighters and it wasn't there. The breathing the uh, breathing training wasn't there. And then I thought, well it must be in these other um these other sports and then I looked into that and it wasn't there either. And it's, you know, the, the thing is, we're just, as you know, we are just a whole lot of body systems. That's what we're made up of, a whole lot of different body systems that work together uh, to form the human body. And we can tap into each of those body systems and train them individually. And what we see with most athletes is they're spending a lot of time, energy and focus adapting the muscular and cardiovascular system, very little time focused on the breathing system or the nervous system. And those are the two systems that are most important uh, in order to remain calm and composed and focused under pressure. So it's just sort of a, the immune system's connected to that as well, I guess, as well, right? Exactly. Well, it's all, as you know, it's all connected, you know, you, you but the crazy thing is, is like when I started working with these fight athletes is they <clears throat> they'd come in and you'd, you'd get a guy or a girl that would have incredible cardiovascular capacity but terrible breathing. And so how is that possible? How is it possible to have very good cardio, but, you know, not very good breathing capacity? And, you know, the thing is there is that you can, but you're going to put a lot of stress onto the cardiovascular system. You're going to put a lot of stress onto the immune system. It's going to have a ripple over effect into uh, your sleep and recovery, and you're going to start predisposing yourself to injury. And once we focus in and build up uh, an athlete's or a human's breathing capacity, it has a ripple-on effect into every facet of performance and into every other body system. 
So I want to get into the breathing a bit with you, if that's all right. But what I'm most curious about at this very moment, and I wonder if other people are as well, how do you go, how do you get your first high-performance clients? How does that even happen? Uh, especially in fight sports, so like, these guys are pretty intense, right? They just like, take a random ambulance driver and away, you know, a, a paramedic rather, mm. and uh, where you go. Yeah, it's a tricky. Uh, I guess like coming into this environment with um, when you start to talk breathing or you know holistic uh, health, you, you can be very quickly labelled and sort of, sort of just pushed aside. And so it's about bringing this stuff the language, the terminology, the programming into a performance environment. So when we're talking about breathing, we shouldn't be talking about saying things like breathe into your belly because what, what what does that mean, you know? So we have to, I think, by changing the language and also being able to get on the, on the same level as people, then uh, it's much more likely that you're going to be, um, you know, taken seriously. But, uh, yeah, getting, I guess, like... I had I don't know how I got into the um, you know training fight athletes. It wasn't because um, that that's like a big part of the uh, clientele that we were working with. It wasn't something that I targeted or sort of um, I, I sort of thought I'll just work with these fighters because I, I'm open to work with um, all athletes and all you know it doesn't not not selective there, but. Um, I think the athletes are, I think the fight athletes are open to this um, to change into new ways of doing things uh, because I don't think they're bound by as many restrictions as other athletes if you you know want to compare that to like rugby or league or soccer where I mean you just watch an interview of these guys that the fighters come on they say whatever they want to say you know they say what's <laughs> on their mind they don't hold back and that's so refreshing in a world now where everyone is just so worried about what they're going to say and you know is it going to affect the sponsorship and I mean, you, you watch an interview with a rugby player, it's boring. It's boring yeah, because correct, they correct. can't, yeah. And you can see they're holding back. They want to say things. The coaches want to say things, but it's all red taped and it's all um, restricted. So that is so refreshing working in that with those fighters because, yeah, I think they're more open and they don't have so many restrictions to what uh, they can and can't do. And then surfing, uh, I, I understand because you lived in Pihar and it's one of the best, best spots in, in the world, really, uh, that that's why you'd become involved with high-performance surfing. Yeah, again, um, it was, it's just this all just started just working, you know, through word of mouth. You work with one person. If you offer, um, if you offer, you know, something that's sustainable and that resonates with people, then you're going to get that ripple on effect. And surfing, you know, I've been involved in surfing since I was five years old, and so I understand surfing intimately. And the thing with uh, New Zealand surfing is that we don't have good structures in place in terms of um, training. Um, and in terms of, um, you know, these surfers that are coming out of New Zealand, I guess, to really make it, you have to go overseas. But we need to start getting these kids, these surfers, because we have so much, we have a huge talent pool here. You know, we New Zealand is a coastal country, and so we've got this huge talent pool. We need to tap into that, and we need to get these kids at a young age and get them, you know, training uh, or serious about training and understanding why training is important to optimise performance and yeah, I think once we do that, once we put those systems in place, then we'll see a lot more talent come out of New Zealand. Yeah, great stuff. So let's talk about the breathing, and I guess we'll talk about diet and your movement and muscle imbalance stuff a bit after that. But that's what really caught my attention reading about your work is that, and then uh, sometimes with your different types of temperature as well. Just take us through how you got into that, what, what you do, and why you think it's effective. Yeah, the breathing training is something that, when I had this bilateral hip surgery and I developed chronic pain and I was trying to get myself um, out of dysfunction, you know, when you have pain, it affects your nervous system. It upregulates your nervous system and that was affecting my sleep and, and you know, all facets of life. And one of the last bits of the puzzle was really the breathing. I, I, what I found, I was driving to Napier and, um, you know, my back and my hips were, were, were pretty sore on these these long drives and I was listening to this podcast a lady called Dr. Belisa Vranich, and she was talking about this breathing and, and how you could use this breathing to manipulate pain or, or to um, to nullify pain. And she gave, uh, you know, just, just a very simple breathing exercise, and I did it. And I did it for five, ten minutes just sitting there, and I instantly felt very relaxed. And what I started noticing is when I had more awareness around my own breathing was that Around pain, you tend to breath hold and you tend to brace um, your body, and I was doing that a lot. And so I actually had a breathing pattern disorder myself. Uh, I was also, I think I was mouth breathing a lot, 
Uh, and you could be completely unconscious of that, right? That was just you weren't. Yep. Yeah, you can doing be- anything with your breath. It was just ended up that way. Exactly, because breathing is part or, or is innovated by our autonomic nervous system. It's called the autonomic nervous system because it innovates things in our bodies that we don't have to think about, blood vessel diameter, digestion, heart rate. We don't think about these things. They just happen. It's the same with the breathing, but the breathing is different because we can take conscious control of our breathing. Yes, it's innovated by the autonomic nervous system, but right now I can hold my breath. I can breathe faster. I can slow my breath down. Uh, I can prolong the exhale phase of my breath. And so these all these incredible things that we can do with the breath to elicit a calm state in our body and to elicit a focused state. And that for sport performance, I mean, that is the essence of sport performance is focus and, you know, mental focus and, well, sustained mental focus and calm, being calm in these high-pressure situations. And, yeah, that's where the breathing training uh, really is very powerful. And so you talked about, being a nose breather, you talked about holding your breath. You talked about bracing yourself. Tell us about that. And how do you cha- how did you easily ch- change it? What does a, a simple set of breathing exercises look like? <clears throat> the, the biggest, um, you know, when we work with uh, athletes or just just you know people around the breathing, the biggest change we see is when you just bring awareness to it. So when you tell someone to go away, and I want you to be aware of your breathing for the next three days, what is when you feel fear, apprehension, anxiety, tension, uh, whatever emotion, if you just tap into your breathing, what is your breathing doing? Once you create awareness around it, you can create change. So that's the, that's for me, that was a big part of it, is actually just being aware that uh, about this uh, breathing system that we have, this respiratory system that we can focus in on and adapt and um yeah, and so I guess that's the biggest part of it. But we break the the training down into three pillars into the mechanics of breathing, so getting better access to the diaphragm, starting to train the respiratory muscles, the, the in-breath and the out-breath. Um, and you can't train those breathing muscles any other way because of the way that they work in unison when you breathe is totally unique from anything else. So it's not like you can do core exercises to uh, train your, your breathing. You have to train your breathing to train your breathing and you can do that and that's around the mechanics of breathing and then we use the breathing the other pillar is um the the calm using the breathing to create calm to elicit a calm state in terms of your nervous system activating that parasympathetic state that uh state part of your nervous system that's uh promotes rest and recovery and you can do that by slowing down your breathing rate um and there's a whole lot of other, uh, I guess there's a lot of nuance in there, but uh, the third pillar is CO2 tolerance work. And the, the easiest way to describe this is that free divers will uh, train CO2 tolerance tables, breath hold work, so that they can dive deeper, they can dive to 100 metres. Uh, we, or the, the athletes, we want them to, or, or we're trying to... Um, Train CO2 tolerance work so that at any given level of exertion, their breathing is lighter uh, and more controlled. And that has a huge effect on endurance. It has a huge effect on mental focus because if you're breathing fast and upper chest uh, using these big muscle groups, then uh, you're going to tire quickly and it's going to agitate your mind when you when you breathe fast. You know what's interesting to me is I got to nearly 50 years of age. I'd done a few degrees, including a PhD in physiology and psychology. I've been interested in what keeps us well our whole life. And it's only in the last few years I've really understood anything much about this. In fact, uh, my naivety ran to the point where I thought there was something wrong with my nose because I couldn't breathe through it very easily and I had something different than everyone else. It was just sort of blocked. And I didn't even understand that there was this uh, ultradian rhythm of that you know, one nostril is always slightly more blocked than the other. Mm-hmm. That's a normal pattern of breathing um, and then just switching to nose breathing and predominantly how quickly that cleared this generally blocked nose how yeah obvious it was that this was connected to the sympathetic nervous system activation and that's been a known thing for ages Mm. and then you can go slightly deeper and go well there's a thing called the bore effect well when you get slightly more co2 in your blood it becomes more acidic which sounds really bad but actually means that the oxygen lets go from the hemoglobin that the tissues mm. readily. And th- these these were discoveries made uh, mid-last century mm. and are well-known, but mm. haven't made it to society at all. 
and it takes people like you to come along and draw that to our attention. Yeah, um, the first thing is around that that um, nasal congestion. You know, there's the saying, you know, if you if you don't use it, you lose it. You know, and, and that's I guess the um, the best example is with a joint. If you don't take a joint through its full uh, range of motion, its full um, expression of potential, then you know that joint's going to seize up, and you're going to lose that range. And it's the same. What, what we see is these people are coming in; they're not using their nose. And one of the big things they say is, well, it just feels constantly congested up there. Um, you often hear I get a lot of uh, upper respiratory tract infections, uh, sinusitis. When you tell these people to go away and be conscious of their breathing, and I want you to breathe through your nose during rest, recovery, and light exercise, they come back the week, the following week, and they're like, I cannot believe how much it's cleared up. You know, I, I thought that it was just chronically congested and, you know, I've been trying these nasal rinses and you just need to use the thing. That's what it's designed for. It's designed to breathe through. So if you're not using it, it's going to be inflamed. So you've it's literally got cool. people trying to rinse their nose out to try and clear it out when all we actually have to do is breathe out of it, right? Yeah, I had a um, client who came into the gym last week and he said, look, I've been getting the sinusitis and I've been to the doctor. He's told me to use the nitty uh, pot to flush it out. I've been doing that. I'm taking this. The I said to him, just try breathing through your nose for three days and watch the change. And it's the same with uh, you know athletes that come in with a deviated septum as a result of a, a previously broken nose. And that's going to add more restriction to airflow, but it's the same thing. You can adapt. The body will adapt to that. Um, and, yeah, it's, I guess, part of, like, since industrialization and the way, I guess, even you know a long time before industrialization the way that we have adapted to stress uh to the food that we eat that's having a ripple on effect and we're seeing that in our breathing you know the stress you know one in five people in new zealand have anxiety well that's uh a nervous system thing and if your nervous system is upregulated, if you're an anxious person then it's going to affect your breathing your breathing is going to be faster it's going to be more upper chest and then that style of breathing will feed into anxiety so you know what you're feeling physically will affect you up here, and what you're, uh, what's going on up here will affect you physically. So it's all tied in. You know the medical system. You've, you know, you're a part of it actually. The fact that this hasn't made it to medicine, what do you make of all that? I think it's. Um, I think this stuff should be being taught at school before even being taught at medical school. It should be being taught at school. We should be. We should know about this stuff. There's a kid. Um, I was speaking to. I was walking my niece along the beach the other day, and. Um, I stood on some a sharp shell and I said, oh, you know, that was sore. And she said, just breathe. And I, I turned to her and I said, what do you mean by that? And, and she was like, just breathe. And she said, it will make you calm. Huh. Had you, you told know, her that she just came up with that on her own? She yeah. came up with that. They, they, oh, brilliant. Yeah. And, and so they, I asked her where she learned that and, and it was, she said, at school. So, you know, this is a, a eight-year-old, a seven-year-old girl. These kids are so... Um, this is when we should be teaching this stuff so they understand it, you know, what it, but we, you know, we don't teach it at school. So. Yeah. It's interesting. One thing I've noticed at uh, lecturing at the university that's changed in the in 25 odd years I've been teaching there is kids, you know, you know smart, uh, well put together people for all intents and purposes. You look at them, they've got everything going for them. Then I'm getting so many now, and it's like you know, so and so won't be able to do the exam. They happen to drop out of the degree or or class because of their anxiety, mm. and it was never a thing. It's not, it hasn't been a topic, and all of a sudden, the last five years has just exploded up. Mm. Uh, and I, you know, I guess one of the things that we see is that you know the major medical treatment is uh, SSRIs. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah, it's incredible. Eh? It's incredible that. We are just stuck in this medical model, which is so far from addressing the root cause of the problem, so far. Um, and in fact, you know, uh, those medications are great for a small percentage of people, I think, um, you know, who really who really need it. But as a standalone, it's not going to solve the problem, is it? Um, yeah, because the problem is physical and mental, and we have to address those mental and physical components and the breathing, as you know, is a huge part of that. And 
look, there are so many, um, you know, there are so many great things out there that that we could be talking about, um, you know, about addressing exposure to uh, low-level sunlight in the morning and how that um, activates the release of cortisol and sets our biological clock for the release of melatonin in the evening. And then watching low-level sunlight in the evening stimulates the release of melatonin. And back in the day, you know, before industrialization, we would have we would have been exposed to this all the time, but we've gone 360 degrees away from, um, you know, being connected, being connected with, um, you know, it sounds like being a hippie, but the earth. And then we can talk about grounding the concept of having your bare feet on the earth's surface. And we get clients in, or I get clients in that um, have terrible anxiety. And you ask them, how many times in a week would your foot touch the earth's surface? And they sit there and they think about it. And sometimes they just say, it doesn't. I go from the house to work, back to the house. If I go for a walk, then I've got my shoes on. Hmm. And so they're actually never connected. And um, this is what is causing uh, a huge problems, you know, with inflammation and anxiety and depression. And uh, we just need to yeah, take a step back and, and uh, reconnect. But we're also busy, I guess. That's that's one of the big problems. Although in that New Zealand, and I think it's pretty much the same as in every other developed country in the world, there's a mental health crisis. We don't know what to do. We haven't got tools um, that are effective. I mean, I think the most positive thing I'd say about antidepressants, uh, they provide some temporary relief for some people. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and that's fair enough as an effect, but it's not going to sort the problem. Uh, we do, we in this country, did an entire review on mental health. You won't see any of the things that you're talking about mentioned um, mm. or enacted in either yeah. the review or the, or the you know, billions getting spent on, on the solution. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's... Um you know, the, the, going back to the um, SSRIs, you know, ser- how do you boost your serotonin? Well, <laughs> there's so many um, marvellous ways, yeah, to boost serotonin naturally, getting good sleep, eating good food, uh, exposing yourself to nature. So, uh, so like getting exposing yourself place- to nature, what I wanted to pursue a bit further there is like it's good getting your feet on the ground, but what about your whole self in nature? Mm. Immersing, yeah, immersing yourself. There's a reason why if you go camping for three or four days, you come back and you feel like a million dollars, right? You feel so relaxed. You feel like you've had a full reset. Well, when you go camping, you are fully connected. Um, Yeah, is that what you were sort of? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, that's what surfing is in many ways, isn't it? Surfing is in many ways is the ultimate way of getting, you're going to actually literally be immersed in nature because you'll be under and in the water. the, yeah, the, I think the, acti- the activity of being on a wave means that you are you are beautifully drawn into that moment. Yeah, because because there's no other option. Yeah, people often think that I mean surfers are um, surfers become obsessed about surfing. It's like you can never get it. You know, you'll go for a surf and the surf will be uh, you know the best surf you've had, but you'll never be content. You just want. It's like a drug. You want to go the next day and then then you, you know, as soon as you've had a good surf, you want to be back out there again. But it's not just about catching waves. It's like about being out in the ocean, exactly what you're talking about, and walking down the sand and watching, you know, I often be surfing out there and watch the sun go down in the water. And it's like, man, what an incredible sport. What an incredible um, activity to pursue. And there's, you know, that's what we need to, that's what we're talking about, about, you know, reconnecting is about having these things in your life, whether it be surfing or, um, you know, uh, outdoor, you know, running or yep. mountain biking, whatever. It's all about, like, reconnecting, and that's why they, these things feel so good. So I read also somewhere that you've been using a bit of cold as mm. well. Tell, me, tell us about that. Yeah, we've been using the, um, I mean, you don't have to venture too far into, like, social media to, to see that the stuff's pretty, um, you know, everyone's doing it, everyone's talking about it, uh, cold water therapy. And, I, yeah, it's to me it is incredibly powerful because you're exposing yourself to stress. And people might be thinking, well, if we're already all stressed, what would be the benefit of exposing yourself to more stress? But this is good stress. Stress is not bad. We've got we to totally change our perception of stress. Stress is good. We need stress. Uh, it's our relationship with stress that has got out of whack, you know. Um, yeah, exposing yourself to 
stress and then controlling that stress is incredibly powerful for um, immune function. And getting in a nice bath is like one of the most stressful things you can do because it puts your nervous system into that fight or flight sympathetic uh, state. And then the whole thing about getting in there is like, okay, let's control that. How do we control the stress? You're not going to have any external um, uh, tools to use when you're in the ice bath. You have to focus internally. And what do you have internally to deal with stress? Well, you have a very intricate system, uh, your mind and your breathing, um, to, to be able to deal with stress. And when you learn to do that, when you learn to get in the ice bath and slow your breathing down, control your breathing rate and depth, relax your muscles, focus in your mind, you know, some positive self-talk, some visualisation, well, that has a ripple-on effect into every facet of life and performance. And how did you get into that in the first place? Um, Wim Hof. Yeah, the whole Wim Hof method. And and I guess you – I think you also mentioned to me – at another time we talked that you you follow Dr. Andrew Huberman, the Huberman Labs. Yeah, yeah, I'm very interested in detailed physiology around that as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I guess I say Wim Hof, but, I mean, I've been swimming out here in the water since we were kids, you know, and, and you'll in winter you'll run down and you'll jump in the water and you'll get out. And everyone's done this. Everyone's, like, been to a lake or run into the lake or into the uh, ocean in winter and – you get out and you feel incredibly pumped, yeah. you know? And so it's, yeah, it's like Wim Hof has brought this whole breathing ice bath stuff into um, into the spotlight. Uh, but, yeah, it's always, it's always been there. People have always gone in the cold water. So how cool People have always been drawn to that, um, exposing, yourself to, uh, exposing yourself to stress. People have always been drawn to that. Yeah, in fact, I think the the, the Stoics back in, in Greek and Roman times talk about um, cold baths and the 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 importance of those for your well being. So yeah, it was a topic and the, yeah, and the people you know in um, uh, what's the country where they're big on the sauna uh, contrast? Oh, yeah, Norway. and they have yeah they have some of the best uh, rates of. Um, centurions and longevity in the world and you know what are they doing they're using the sauna every day they're, they're using the contrast therapy getting in the sauna and jumping into the um into the cold lakes or the or the snow and uh we know now the research is there is very clear around sauna use and uh its effect on um on you know so many different facets of health and yeah, you don't that's been an interesting one for me because i i would normally go oh you need to do a, an experiment or a trial but when you look at the sort of dose of sauna and cold, especially sauna in those those Scandinavian countries on on you know death of all causes and mm. you know, you know mocad infection, fatal fatal uh, infection, I mean the the effect is so big. It's so pronounced. It's not, eh? it's not explainable by anything else, and it's like wow, if you could choose a thing to do, mm. uh, that's so massive. potent. Yeah, yeah. Hey, how cold does the water have to be in your opinion? Like, if you go down. Uh, I mean, imagine if you go to a creek or a waterhole somewhere near Pihar, it's going to be around 10, 11. If you go into the water at Pihar, it's going to be 12 or so. Is that cold enough? I don't know the research. Yeah, I don't know the research around that. I don't know if there is. Um, I don't think there is. Yeah, a guy, a very good guy that would be able to answer that question is, is uh, Nigel Beach from Element Health. Yeah. Um, he is uh, very um, knowledgeable in that area. But for me, I don't think... I, I actually enjoy more just going down in winter and jumping in the ocean here and spending 15 minutes just floating around in the ocean. And, um, you know, the crazy thing is you get in there and it's obviously it's really cold when you jump in. But after five minutes of moving around in there, it's like having a warm blanket over you. And you you're looking back in at the beach and there's people walking along and, you know, they're all rugged up and they're and you're just in the ocean, you know, and just floating around and it's such a liberating space. And um, I love doing it in the evening, you know, and... and uh, it's just, I don't know, like... Is that the sort of brown fat activation stuff, do you reckon? Like this almost like, you know, when you first start and you haven't been doing cold for a while, it's actually a little bit tough. Once you get, you know, I was down there yesterday, day before yesterday, same sort of thing um, on my side of the coast. I'm here in Takapuna and, yeah, it's like this sort of internal heater just buzzes off and away you go. Yeah. Yeah, it's all your perception around this stuff, eh? If you're... If you know what it's like if you're going down for a swim and you're telling yourself, oh, God, it's going to be cold and horrible and this is terrible, well, you're not going to have a very good experience. But 
you know, if you switch off, to, it's just cold water. It's just like, it's just stress and just switch off to it all. That's the great thing about like the work that we're doing with the athletes and, and getting them in the, um, not just, you know, not just athletes. Like we all need the stuff, but getting them in the ice bath is we have like a, a protocol that we use. We stand next to the ice bath, close the eyes, visualize. And you want to visualize how you want to be in the ice bath, very calm. And you can get quite intricate with your visualization. You're stepping over, that foot goes into the ice, you're immersing yourself. You know, you're calm, you're controlling your breathing. You do that for 30 seconds and then you change your perception. You just start changing the wording, you know. Um, and that's incredibly powerful in itself. And then you get in there, you do a body scan because you, you're normally sitting there like that. Well, that's going to keep you in that fight or flight state, that that sympathetic state. You relax everything, go through, do your body scan, and then you take conscious control of your breathing, slow down the rate of your breathing, relax into the exhale. And then before you know it, you know, you're sitting in one, two degree water and you're just very calm. And, um, and, and are the athletes surprised at their ability to do that? Because you'll talk to a lot of people who haven't, done cold water and, and they do actually object to it quite strongly right like they're like i could never do that no i think the biggest yeah yeah i think the biggest surprise that you see is from people that have anxiety and people that have put up barriers to getting well and these barriers these comfort barriers you know like we, we talk about this all the good shit in life is on the other side of these barriers that we put up well let's strip them down and get to the good shit and on a micro level the ice bar is everything about being uncomfortable. It's everything about breaking down those barriers. And when you get these people in there that have anxiety or depression and they're able to control the situation, control the environment, they get out and you see something switch. It's like, oh, man, if I can control, if I can be calm there, well, I can be, maybe I don't need all these barriers. Maybe I can be calm in other facets of my life. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because it's actually the, like you said, with the stress, I'm already stressed, so I'm going to go for some more stress. I've, I've got anxiety. Now I'm going to put myself in something that really makes me anxious. I don't know who is there such a person in the world. Maybe it's you, Dave, who goes to and stands next to an ice bath and and thinking thinking that they're just completely relaxed. There is a degree of anxiety no matter what. Is it is that your take on it? I think you want that. I think you yeah. want to um, have the anxiety around it. You want to have the fear around it because then you want to bring that stuff in. You know, that's so then, the, then the question is, how do you talk them into it? How do you get from A to B with someone with that level of anxiety? Because it doesn't make any sense to them initially, does it? Yeah, it's all about we shy away from explaining in-depth physiological concepts, and we shouldn't. We should be explaining these things that we're talking about to people, but explain it in a way that they understand. But, um, yeah, it's all about just, man, you got to you got to get on the same level as people um you know, whether it's someone that's coming in with anxiety or depression or that stress to, to all hell or they're an athlete or they're a guy down, you've got to get on the same level somehow, you know, you've got to, uh, and then, yeah, it's just all about explaining it. This is why we're doing this, you know, this is this is, this is what stress is. Uh, this is, uh, stress is not something that's bad. Stress is good. We need to have a good relationship with stress. We need to bring stress in, you know, and use it to our advantage and, I think once they understand that and once they can, you know, you explain these things, it becomes like, yeah, this is a good challenge. It's an interesting thing there because, uh, for example, Huberman's, with this Huberman lab, is, is deep physiology. Mm. You know, we're talking Stanford neuroscientist, uh, doctor, ophthalmologist as well, uh, getting brought into it, and it's massively popular with the lay public. We on the other end, I'll talk to uh, a medical oncologist. Who, and I'll say, did you, did you mention diet or exercise? Ah, uh, there's no real point. They won't do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I see what you're saying there because I guess you know we're really fighting an uphill battle against people that are coming in and they want quick change. You know, they're not. Um, they don't understand. Like, okay, you got to get in the grind with the stuff. This is like three to four months of you doing consistent work. And people don't want that. They want something quick, and that's why they want the pill or they want the um, the physio to fix them or the chiropractor, and it's actually, well, yeah, this is, you know, 15, 20 years of ingrained uh, behaviour and patterns. It's going to take a little while. So, um, you know, put your bell on and get ready for, uh, uh, you know, a bit of a, a grind and to um, have some consistency in your life and have some accountability for what you're doing. So, so getting to that that side of things over and above the the breath work and the the cold and that, that sort of thing is the, I guess the name of what you do, which is what is movement workshop. 
if, if we're talking about movement, what's your approach there and, and can you just sort of talk a bit, bit, bit about that? I think the approach with movement with most people is to go back to the fundamentals. I think we have so much imbalance, whether it be that uh, you're an office worker and you're sitting for eight hours a day or you're a specialised athlete. And any specialisation will create imbalance. What, what we see a lot is this imbalance is then being loaded in a strength and conditioning environment. I think we need to go back, uh, address the imbalance. And I guess that comes back to like... Um, you know, having good foundations with anything that we're doing, whether it be breathing or the muscular system or the cardiovascular system, is to have good uh, foundations. Uh, and so that's a lot of the work that we do in the gym. Um, I guess, yeah, we're definitely not specialised in strength and conditioning, but what is strength and conditioning? Well, you know, sitting down and doing two minutes of focus work, focus breath work is strength and conditioning. Mm. Um, you know, that's the most potent form of strength and conditioning is uh, training your mind. So I think... Yeah, we have this image when we talk about strength and conditioning of someone lifting, squatting and deadlifting. Well, you know, for me, that's the 10% at, at that end. And we need to be back here and we need to be getting the foundations really strong. And you'll see, you know, in the athletic um, world, you'll see many athletes make it to the very top on poor foundations. But what do we see when they get to the top? They can't sustain it. And, and you see these, uh, you know, you see them fall uh, and fall hard. And so, yeah, it's about creating yeah, yeah, those solid foundations so that you can build yourself up to the top and, and stay there. Have you, have you surprised yourself with this? Like, I, I mean, I, I just go, you've, you've got into this and it's just rocketing. And, and where's it going to go? What, where do you see this going for you? <laughs> I'm loving it, by the way. Like, you know, just especially your background and where you've come to so quickly. Um, yeah, effectively and yeah. working with Olympic and world yeah, athletes and world champions and whatnot. It's pretty cool. But yeah, yeah. yeah. This is Thanks, cool, Grant. <laughs> um, I do find it um I find wow, I just find life a crazy thing. And I've had that many experiences in my life. Like, you know, I traveled for 10 years by myself and I learned so much in that 10 years. You know, I've I've had a crazy life and I guess it's like, yeah, bringing all those life skills and um you know, and, and then the 12 years of working on the ambulance and going through my own, you know, bilateral hip surgery and chronic pain. And it's just bringing all this stuff in. And, you know, two years ago uh, when I started the workshop, you know, the workshop's just there. It's like 20 feet from my kitchen door. And it was just that. It was a natural garage and it had all, all garage equipment in it. And I was, um, you know, seeing the guy down the road with back pain. And then, you know, fast forward two years and, yeah, we're, we're, um, it's like it's got really busy and it's um, – I don't know, you know, I always feel like I guess I, in my life I've always um, – I hate – I won't use the word hate. I, I don't like a whole lot of structure. I like to, um, you know, I like to uh, – if I find if I have structure, you know, for example, we do a um, calm under pressure presentation and I started, I thought, man, to deliver this, I'm going to have to have all these slides, right, and yeah. PowerPoint presentation. And when I did this, presented this PowerPoint presentation, it just wasn't, I just felt so constricted by, um, by it. And as soon as I structure, yeah. Yeah, got rid of that and uh, and that's been like, I guess, like the story of my life is, you know, coming through lifeguarding when they started to put too much red tape stuff in, uh, in there and they started to take away uh, putting the onus on the person on the beach to make decisions, that's when I got out. And it's the same with, um, you know, I guess even working as a paramedic, uh, as more restrictions start to come in, I find like, man, I don't want that. I want, And that's why starting this business has been so liberating because now I can create my own thing and put my own unique spin on it. And I don't have to create any restrictions. I don't have to have like, you know, I guess for any business, you have to have systems in place, but it's like working with an athlete. You're not going to work with that guy the same as that guy. They're two totally different mm. individuals. And so your approach should be totally different. And if you're not bound by like a whole lot of rules and regulations and protocols, well, you're going to have that flexibility. I think where a lot of these athletes in that high performance environment is they are surrounded by, protocols and 
you know, there's the, the coach and the physio and all these people. And I think the noise can sometimes just get a bit much, you know? Yeah. And, and, and what about the sort of scale? Because I just sort of look at you going, this is so cool. Uh, and you're sort of like, this should be taught in schools. Everyone should know this. Uh, where do you see you? What, what, what do you think about that with yourself? I mean, it, it seems that if you keep going on the trajectory you're going with this, then everyone's going to know about Dave Wood uh, and Woody's Movement Workshop and then everything that comes out of there, right? Yeah, I just don't even think about it, to be honest. I just, um, I just, yeah, just keep building. And like, the thing is, you never make it, you know, like, if I'm never satisfied. Like, yeah, I've worked with some of these elite athletes, but it's like, it's like surfing, you want more. So you go for a good surf and then you just want to go out again and you want to get better. And it's like, if you've ever think that you've made it, well, you're just, um, you're selling yourself so short because you never make it. And I, I put like, I guess I put a bit of pressure on myself to build this thing up and build it in a way that's sustainable. And like, it's definitely not a linear process. So starting a business has been the biggest challenge of my life yeah. um, because I'm not a business orientated person. Yeah, because the, the 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 idea of sitting down and doing a GST return, for example, doesn't really yeah. fit with the idea of doing what the hell you want, does it? No, nah, no, nah, and that's my idea of hell. But um, <laughs> what I'm learning very quickly is that you have to bring the right people and and surround yourself with the right people who will take care of those things. And um, and you know, and that is all about yeah, surrounding yourself by good people. I know you know it's so interesting because you know the lady down the road who I train her daughter. Well, now she's taking care of the books and, and she's a great person. And then I've got my mate down the road who's uh, an endurance athlete and he's starting to come in and uh, take a role of the beach training and the breathing training. And so I guess when you surround yourself, you know, by, uh, I don't know, good people. I guess, um, uh, do, you, do you reckon that when you've got passion with purpose that, somehow it's not magic obviously but that sort of begets a situation where yeah i think just if you have other people are pulled to that to pull to yeah i think like if you have a destination and you just you know i have like a destination in my mind i want to be of course i want to be the best it's like whatever i do i want to be the best and so with this i want to be the best so that's the destination and then when you know the destination you have that drive and passion and it's like there's obstacles that get in the way while well, you either go around them or you you go right through them um i think that's like something powerful that um people want to um be a part of and that's where i feel like this business um you know i have that real intense focus of where i want to get to and yeah i'm nowhere near there yet so it's uh i guess it's like we, you hear that um saying you know it's you got to enjoy the process and yeah. if, if even if i'm just like thinking about the end result of where i want to get while well, my head's out the game what, what i should be doing is just putting the processes in place um making sure that i'm getting better every day and i'm learning to run a business uh with better efficiency and so, yeah, you just um, you got to enjoy the process and focus on the process. Uh, and I think, yeah, those. I think everything will take care of itself if I do that properly. Yeah, when I started writing books, I started thinking, well, if I could, my filter was if I can, because you know, you don't really have any confidence. You haven't written any books before. Yeah, uh, let alone for the public on health. I was sort of like, well, if I could help one single person, that was my filter. Yeah, uh, um, then I, I'd be worth it. And uh, I guess with given I could live with that scenario, mm-hmm. uh, it's all good from there. And actually, of course, you do way, way better. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's I don't know, man. It's like uh, we're all just trying to do good shit, aren't we? <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah, we're all deep but, down. We all just want to be good at something, and you know. I want to be good at life and this is like a big part of my life now is running this business and working with athletes and I want to be good at it and I want to offer, um, you know, I want to offer something that's quality. Yeah, man. Well, well, just keep up the great work. I've just loved talking to you. So thanks, Dave.
Yeah, legend Grant, it's been uh, a good chat, man, and I'm very interested in what you do as well and picking your brain. So maybe I should start a podcast and get people <laughs> like yourself in and because um, it's a great way to learn. And, yeah, I'm, I'm listening to podcasts all the time. And, you know, you mentioned the, the um, Huberman podcast, which is actually like really can get quite, um, you know, it's very science-based and very – but he is so great at giving – you know, he goes into the science and the research, but he also gives the practical um, – skills to be able to um, integrate into your life. And that's what I love about uh, his work. So He's a brilliant lecturer from just the couch, really. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah, for the listeners, jump on his podcast. They're amazing. But, I mean, there's so many good – I was listening to a podcast with uh, Led Hamilton. Do you know who he is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, big big wave surfer, big on uh, underwater breath work. Yeah, very innovative human being. Um, I just find that guy incredibly fascinating because everything that he's done has just been from his own practical experience. It's just been getting out there and getting shit done and like not worrying about what everyone thinks. And, um, you know, I think we can be, sometimes we can do be too boxed in by the, um, by the research and the, and the science. And it's like, man, we just got to sometimes get out there. Like the, the, the most, I feel like when I'm the most creative is when I'm just in the gym, just trying to work things out with my, with my own body and like, yeah, and yeah, you know, we can. I think we, we can be too stagnated if we wait 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 around for research and um, because that, you know, even with the breathing stuff, it's taken ten years for that research to trickle down into, and we're just starting to see that now to trickle down into that performance environment. So, yeah, let alone an actual health environment. Yeah, where it's where it's needed even more. Yeah, um, and I, I think that's what I my encouragement for, especially for health any health professional or any budding sort of health coach, health professional. Uh, PT, anything like that, is it's. I think you made a good point there. It starts with yourself, right? Mm. Um, you know, have a go. Oh, hundred percent. It starts with yourself. That's that's where this whole process for, for me started. Was starting with you know trying to sort it out and fix myself. We rely on people. We rely on other people too much. It's just like that tablet we're talking about. You start relying on the tablet, or you know, you start relying on the doctor. And of course, we need those people in those medical interventions, but. We've got to reflect on ourselves and work some of the stuff out ourselves because, like, we're equipped to deal with with all this stuff, you know. Yeah, and I and I think I mentioned this in paramedicine. One thing that we're good at in medicine is fixing up uh, acute trauma. Like, yeah. like you're not going to sort that out yourself. No. Uh, and we've got a great system, a hospital do. system that yeah. does that. But but on the other side of thing, which is poor mental and metabolic health, uh, the hospital's not going to sort that for you. Absolutely, it's not. And you, you've hit it on the head there, like. The medical field is like we have to give them so much uh, props for what they're doing in terms of acute intervention uh, from things like trauma, um, you know, because it's incredible what they're doing. And um, but yeah, there's this whole other part where we're relying on the health system too much, and you're just going to get um, you're going to get very frustrated. Yeah. yeah, and 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 well, let's just finish with that bit that you started with, which is the last. I can't remember how you described it exactly. But that last twenty years of your life battling, not living. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I think yeah, we we get to. Um, I think with our health, we just have to like we have to look ahead a little bit. How what do we want to be like in ten years' time? You know, what do we want to be like in twenty years' time? And we got to set up for it now. We got to start being healthy and not letting these food companies and these, you know, we're getting poisoned by these people. Like they are poisoning our food and we're allowing it to happen. Not only are we allowing it to happen, but we're giving it to our kids. You know, like I drive around and uh, seven o'clock in the morning, you drive past the dairy and there's a kid walking out of the dairy with a pie and a V drink. And that's what he's having for breakfast. And like that kid is going to have some serious problems with learning. Uh, That kid's going to have some serious problems with his breathing, with his sleep, with his um, ability to be a high-functioning human being. Uh, and it's an insidious effect. The stuff is, um, you know, it has an insidious effect, the food that we're eating, the stuff that we're watching, uh, and it catches up, you know, it catches up with you. Yeah, we just did a study. We went and photographed the school lunchboxes of a, you know, the whole set of year six, end of primary school kids. Um, it's shocking. Cried. I actually cried. Like, it's, yeah. it's whatever you think... <laughs> Um, the ultra processed food environment looks like um, it's it's worse than you think. Yeah, I, I've got a 
I get really, um, we need, yeah, this is where we need to take onus on ourselves because, I mean, look, we've, we've just been through, well, we're going through this COVID thing, right? And, um, and the health authorities, they haven't come out and mentioned anything about this stuff, you know, about how we can improve, how we can actually improve our health with things like, uh, like what we've talked about in this podcast. What a great opportunity to come out and start talking about some of this breathing stuff, some of this cold water therapy and sauna use and, you know, getting reconnected and what a great opportunity, but nothing. Yeah, nothing no, 100%, 100% nothing in the midst of a mental health crisis, a metabolic health crisis um, and a pandemic, all of which can be reduced by sorting out your diet, getting right. fitter, moving properly, connecting mm. with nature, breathing in a way that's productive, not the other way around. Um, and exposing yourself to stress that's that's mm. hormetic improves you. We haven't heard anything on any of those. No, and once you open your mind to uh, once you open your yourself to that stuff, it becomes that becomes the addiction is feeling good. It's like, man, I'm I'm getting good sleep and the food, the feel that I'm putting in my body is making me feel so good. I feel so much more focused. Well, that ends up becoming addictive. Not all the other crap that we're shoving in, you know, the food and the um, you know, this stuff. The screen stuff and um, yeah, the other the, the the being healthy becomes very addictive. Yeah, and, and and it's available to everyone right now, and especially in a time on the planet, we've never had more resources. Like, what are we doing as a species? It's totally yeah, totally is uh, available. And man, I, I live at Piha Beach, and I'm surrounded by um, you know that there's waterfalls, there's the uh, the black sand, there's the ocean, there's the Waitakere Ranges. Man, this is like uh, in New Zealand we have the easiest access to this stuff. But it's in, in saying that it's not easy for everyone. You know, like working in the ambulance, you see, um, you know, low socioeconomic. Uh, there's, you know, we're living amongst poverty for sure. We just don't see it. You see it in the ambulance service, and you see these kids that are um, unfortunately exposed to this and exposed to violence and exposed to this process crap, how are they, like, how are they supposed to, um, you know, the stuff we're talking about. How to have a resilient, healthy mind and body when when that's yeah. happening. Yeah, I think this information, look, on social media you can go and find it all, but I think the healthy, are, the healthy are getting healthier and the unhealthy are getting unhealthier. If you want to, if you're very healthy and you want to, you're the type of person who's going to go out and look for this stuff, well, I guess, you know, the low socioeconomic uh, communities, um, it's a lot harder for them. It's a lot more difficult, especially when you're young and you're you're not being brought up, you're being dragged up and you're being this, having the stuff shoved into you. You know, it's very difficult to break that pattern. So this is why, you know, we talked about the stuff needs to be in the schools because kids are, you know, they'll absorb this information and they understand it. we just got to get it out there in a way that's... Um, you know? Yeah, it was interesting. One time I was the chief health and nutrition officer for the Ministry of Education, which was a job I was terrible at and um, it was a terrible place to work. But uh, they won, we once did a survey. We went and talked to a bunch of parents from all sorts of different places about what they felt they wanted out of school. And the parents overwhelmingly from every type of neighbourhood, from high deprivation to to quite wealthy, were like we want them to learn the skills to be healthy and happy in their life. That's that's what they wanted out of the system. Yeah, that's what the parents want. But yeah, I guess there's a lot of parents out there who are educated, who are very educated, but um, they're just they're not getting it either. They are, um, you know, they have fallen complacent to um, you know some of these. The things that are making us so unhealthy in terms of lifestyle disease, and, and the big one again is the food, the the, con, the convenient food, and you know the, the the man. It's shocking just to think the stuff that they're putting in our food, the emulsifiers, the um, you know the ingredients that you can't even read, and these um, energy drinks and the fizzy and all this crap. It's like we were not designed to put that stuff in our bodies. Your digestive tract was not designed to deal with that. It was just not designed for it. Yeah, I've got my. A few thesis students working on the moment. I think I'm calling the the human interference scoring system or the HIS. It's sort of trying to get a new way of discovering how to categorize food. You know, I sort of tried to make four categories. Like at one end, I have you know food that was recently alive in nature, 
running around flying, swimming, growing somewhere. And the mm. next one is food that was available to pre-industrial populations and some fermented food includes milk and yeah. cheeses and those sorts of things. The next one's processed, which is, well, you've made it yourself, but it's still got some processed food in it, flowers and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and the fourth one is just ultra-processed food, that category that I think the estimates are that's about 70% of what we eat in this country comes from stuff that was made in a factory. Yep. It's in packets. It doesn't rot. Uh, your grandmother wouldn't recognize it. Um, and, you know, it's just fake industrial food. Yeah, well, I, don't, I think, you know, with all the information that's out there, I don't think there's ever been a time where we're more confused about what to eat. We don't. One guy's telling you that eggs is a superfood. The other's telling you that's the, you know, that's poison. Same with dairy. And so we're so confused. We I have clients come to me and they just don't even know what to eat. What should I have for breakfast, you know? Um, is, that, is that a food company thing that's causing some of that problem, do you reckon? I think it started back with the food pyramid where we started promoting, um, you know, and, yeah. yeah, where we started uh, promoting grain and then these big food companies cottoned onto that. Well, if we're promoting grain, let's make some processed, uh, you know, mass, let's mass produce this stuff. Well, how do we mass produce this? We, we make uh, cocoa pops and rice bubbles and... Uh, cornflakes and you know stuff that that is broken down straight away into sugar in your body and causes inflammation and um, you know a spike in your blood glucose and um, you know which is awful for you. Yeah, right. And, it, and it's just become normal. It's become totally normal. You see kids like and and I talked about low socioeconomic. This is not low socioeconomic. This is like right through um, you know uh, all walks of um, of uh you know it's right it's it's rough it's like i look at you know i got what my friends kids and you know so even my um, my own nephews sometimes and nieces are uh, eating and it's like man there's a lot of problems there you know uh with inflammation that's coming from the food eczema um you know i think eczema is a big one that's um childhood eczema uh you know we're, we're we're addressing all these things apart from nutrition. Yeah, you're rubbing a cream on something that's extensively caused by the fact you're eating actually non-food. It's getting through the gut because of yep. the leaky gut and, and the immune system's mounting a response against this non-food, which is an entirely normal thing to do, right? But it might manifest itself as eczema. You're going to get a corticosteroid to run on your skin, skin to sort it out. Yeah, and um, I guess, yeah, yeah, you're, you're right, man. It's... Um, it's kind of troubling, eh? It's like when you think about how backwards uh, we've become in terms of, um, you know, just the simple things, not not really knowing what to do as a human anymore to optimize health. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, rheumatoid arthritis is another classic example of autoimmune inflammatory condition. Yeah, we'll take some anti-inflammatories. Mm. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, when inflammation is a completely normal response to to things in, in the right environment. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, it's um it's interesting, man. And I think um for me, I just I just make sure that what I'm putting in my body is uh gonna be building me up. And um, you know, I, I guess being exposed to working in the ambulance for 12 years, I've seen the end result and it scares me. It scares me to think that I could spend the last 20, 30 years of my life trapped in my body and I'm definitely not going to be there, man. I want to be surfing when I'm 70, 80 years old. I want to be high functioning. I look at my um, parents and they are, you know, in their mid seventies and my old man's out on his bike for three, four hours a day. And yeah, nice. Yeah. You I, I'd just, imagine this sort of end of life being actually, actually being surfing somewhere. <laughs> uh, I'd probably be in Tyra. You'll be at Piha and, you know, we'll be, we'll be quite old and we'll just be paddling and, I don't know. We'll just might come in one day. <laughs> That's the ultimate. <laughs> yeah, bro. I think we should cut it there. That's the ultimate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of it. Thanks, David. Oh, how do people I've 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 started following on your Facebook page, uh uh Woody's Movement Workshop. How else can people find out what you're up to? Yeah, um Instagram, yeah. Um it's actually we've just changed it WMW underscore integrated underscore training yep. <laughs> but yeah it is it's what he's moving workshop yeah um wmw.co.nz is the website yeah cheers bro 
You've been listening to Prevention is Cure, brought to you by Precure.com, with me, Professor Grant Schofield. At Precure, we're developing a way to help medicine help change the world. We're filling that gap. We're helping train health coaches and mental health coaches. We're bringing short but effective behavior change programs over 29 days to you to help you learn for yourself and help others as well be healthier. We're trying to create a community of like-minded people, people like you who want to use the latest science and practice to change lives for the better. Join us at precure.com. Get involved in our communities. We'd love to have you along for the ride. Precure.com. Too many days in the darkness Without a glimpse of the light Running tired and broken and scared But I swear I'll never give up the fight